Hey, hey, water coolians. Welcome back to another episode of Water Cooler Talk. Today in the podcast, we are joined by host of the monthly podcast, Highly Irregular, Stu Horgan. Stu joins us from the UK to talk about some of the most pressing issues happening in our world right now. Like, why the heck is Canada discontinuing a cereal popularized by hunky athletic Australians? Or should I spend my stimulus check on a digital picture of Tampa Bay Buccaneers tight end, Rob Gronkowski? That's, you know, that's all I'm going to tease in this introduction. No more, no less. That's that's all you're getting. The shortest water cooler talk introduction on record. Pour me a Guinness, put me in the Guinness, and make it official. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, this is Water Cooler Talk, episode 59, titled Discontinued Sweets with Stu Horgan. Enjoy. This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not, because they're real. It's been a hobby of mine, like writing songs for a long time, um, and I like comedy. Uh, so I, I used to like record songs, but not funny songs, on a on a very bad microphone, shitty five pound microphone that I bought like fifteen years ago to mess around with my friend playing a game called the Movies, uh, where you can like dub over like little movies you make. So that's my main experience of sort of any of this has been writing songs and, and recording things on that and I, you know, mucking around in audacity a bit. And then, and then, yeah, over the last year, well, well, my girlfriend actually suggested I do a podcast like while we were out for drinks one night. And I was like, oh yeah, that's funny. And then I was like, oh, well, kind of could. And then she bought me a book on how to make a podcast. <laughs> and I was like, okay, yeah, I should try this. Um, she, she wants you to make that podcast money. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, when, when we're on tour, making millions in, in non-fungible tokens and, and uh, it's all going to pay off. But, um. Well, I will have to say, you know, listening to your, you know, the two episodes of Highly Irregular that you have released and now being able to look at your setup here on video, I would have never have guessed it was this kind of setup because it, it sounds really well done. Oh, thank you. I think it's, it's, it's a lot of the editing just helps a lot like I, I don't know i'm always picking up these tricks and stuff like I, I i know it's like it's a real handful to use but ableton's like really good for that stuff because it, you can put all these effects on things and um and sort of tweak tweak stuff and and make things sound like there's a lot more going on than there really is and it's mostly for making music but actually if you're making a, sh- a show like mine where you want sort of sound effects and stuff going on and trying to create the illusion that it's not just me talking to myself <laughs> in my living room and it's it's really handy yeah it's it's going well it's going well i suppose i hope it will only get better all right you're ready to jump into the, the first news article of the episode absolutely all right this story is from cbc news march 5th 2021 calgarians 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 i'm really glad that you're ta- you're taking a punt at uh pronouncing this before me <laughs> <laughs> well, I like I I practice these news stories before you know I start recording, mm. and I was reading this. I was like, "Is it Calgarians? Is it Calgarians? Is it what? What would be the proper term for this?" I'm sure I'll get a few emails from our uh, Canada listeners, but I'm gonna go with Calgarians. If you say Calgarians, it kind of sounds like someone from Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> We now, now, we have to, now we have to use Calgarians. <laughs> Calgarians hunt for last boxes of Kellogg's Just Right after cereal discontinued. What was just right for some Canadians was just wrong for those at the Kellogg brand in Canada responsible for helping make Kellogg $1.4 billion annually. Just Right cereal, a mix of whole wheat, corn, and rice flakes with raisins, dates, and sliced almonds, or as one review called it, a fruitcake in a box, has recently been discontinued throughout Canada. To make it official, a Kellogg Canada media representative wrote in an emailed statement, Unfortunately, consumer demand for Kellogg's Just Right cereal was not strong enough to support continued production. We can confirm that the product has been discontinued. Just Right cereal was originally created in the 1980s for health-conscious athletic Australians who, just Australians, that is, not just the healthy ones. Every time I picture an Australian, I think of Chris Hemsworth. So (laughs) just every Australian, just in general. But Australia is actually the world's third biggest cereal eaters. So Stu, I want to ask you before I continue the story, a little game. Can you guess who is number one and number two for annual cereal consumption? Is that gross... <laughs> this is this really is the amount of cereal. It is gross cereal consumption or per capita. Per capita per person. Okay, per capita. I reckon it could it could be us. I eat a lot of cereal. It is. Yes. The United Kingdom, 14.99 <laughs> pounds or 6.8 kilograms per person per year. Wow, that's quite a lot of me. 
the signal. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what? Who do you think is number two? Number two. Wait. So, so no, number. So number one. Number is UK. one is the UK. Number three is Australia. Australia, and I'll give you number five is Mexico. Five is Mexico. I thought that was going to help, but that's really throwing me off. I, th- <laughs> I think it could be. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I want to say Canada because because they because of this article. Holy shit! It is Canada. Yes. Two for two. Canada is number two at 10.58 pounds or 4.8 kilograms per person. Australia, obviously, number three at 9.92 pounds or 4.5 kilograms per person. The United States, uh, 9.26 pounds or 4.2 kilograms per person. And then there's just a drop off to Mexico at number five at 5.29 pounds or 2.4 kilograms per person. Wow. So we're, we're, we're world leaders. We love it. Um, well, I do. But but I, I certainly do. I actually have a bit of a, a bombshell to drop on you. Oh yeah, I'm excited. To, I, I'm gonna finish the story, but I'm excited to hear about your the bombshell coming. A little tease for later in the uh, this conversation. However, the soon-to-be obsolete cereal is still available. Well, supplies last, of course. But for the Canadian listeners listening right now, I know there's a few of you out there. You may have a hard time finding it on many city shelves. Not the case for our Australian listeners. It's still available in Australia. No worries, you don't need a stockpile in your basement of Australian Just Right cereal. The last box came off the factory floor in January in Canada, and longtime groupies of the cereal, because there is groupies for cereal. I saw that. I enjoyed that word. Including two time <laughs> Olympic speed skater Katrina LeMay Dawn are in a race, pun intended, of course, to scoop up the last remaining boxes as Canada officially discontinues production. And for those listening who happen to be fans of 90s alt-rock star Tori Amos, here is a Just Right cereal commercial that would ironically become the launch pad for her illustrious career. She is a cornflake girl. She is. Introducing Kellogg's Just Right cereal, the perfect harmony between four wholesome grains, each one crisp and crunchy, with the sun-rich goodness of raisins, nuts, and chopped dates. Taste that's so rich in nutrition, you get 100% of 11 vitamins and minerals. Ah! New Kellogg's Just Right, the perfect harmony between taste and nutrition, with fruit or all grains. Mm. Just Right! I want to address a question you posed in the latest episode of your podcast, Highly Irregular. In the episode, you asked listeners to answer the age-old question, is milk and cereal a recipe? Yes. So first off, I want to ask, are you able to take a stance... And if so, what is it? I can take a stance. Yes. Okay, perfect. Um, yes, it is. That was my view initially. And honestly, the, the, the feedback I've received since posting that question has been pretty, pretty pro recipe in general. Really? Yeah. I was, I, d- I don't know. Cause I, th- I mean, I think it is, but I'm also a bit of a moron, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> so I was prepared to be wrong. I I I complete opposite. I think it's not. It's kind you of I feel is. like it's like bread and uh, or a toast and butter. You know, what what constitutes a recipe? Like how many actions need to be in this recipe sphere to make it a recipe? Yeah, it's it's a very philosophical question because is it just two ingredients? If you if you combine ingredients, is it a recipe? And then is milk or cereal, even uh, is it even being giving them too much credit to call them ingredients? I don't you know, know. If you're making spaghetti and you combine noodles and pasta sauce, I mean, I guess that's considered a recipe. Yeah, exactly. Well, is it? I suppose. It I, is. Yeah, I guess is it? It's, I don't know. Is it? I mean, I mean, there's one thing: is it is it a recipe, and is it like a, a published recipe that, that you would look up? <laughs> Does it have to be in a recipe book? Oh, another good question. I mean, I'm sure there is a cereal recipe book out there that says, first page, literally first page, it just says, put in cereal, put in milk. That, that's another good question. Are you a milk first or cereal first? The cereal first. Obviously, that's the only right answer in that scenario. It's good to just put it to bed. The people who put milk in milk first, first are first crazy. off, yeah, they're psychopaths because it makes absolutely no sense. You got to like, the amount of milk you use is proportional to the amount of cereal exactly. you use. So obviously you have to put the cereal in first to figure out how much milk you need. Yeah, especially if it floats. Because then it's going to conceal the true amount. You're never going to know. <laughs> you never know. Have you have you seen those uh those, those commercials like the behind the scenes commercials where they do commercials for cereal no. and they use like glue or mashed potatoes for the milk? Oh God! 
I didn't know that. Do you think Tori Amos is, is eating <laughs> mashed potatoes with cereal on top in that, in that old advert? No, I'm just imagining <laughs> them trying to fake eat, you know, the cereal in a bowl of glue. <laughs> That's horrible. But I, okay, I, I want to hear this bombshell that you've been we've been teasing here. Well, I've had just right. They have it here. You can still get it here. I, I thought that was a bombshell, and then you said that they still have it in Australia. But the article says it's unique to Canada. I don't. I, I don't know who CBC is. They sound important, but they they're like to, the, they're like Canada's BBC. Well, they they need to do some some fact checking. They need a corrections corner. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for bringing that. Up. Well, Just Right was also in the U.S., but it got oh. discontinued in the U.S. because people think it tastes like shit. What What is your review on the actual cereal? I love it. You think it's pretty good? I like it. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, 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 I, it, but it's strange because something that they mentioned here is that the kids, you know, people don't, people who eat it like it and buy more, but it, there's no like, there's no new just right eaters being created or whatever. Like they, 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 there's no, no new people are picking up just right and making it their cereal. It's so strange to be talking like this about breakfast cereal, but, but it's some serious thing. But I found out about it from a friend of mine when I was a kid who, who had it and loved it. And I was like, oh, mom, dad, can, can we get some just right? Um, but I never saw it like mentioned anywhere or, or you know, other people weren't eating it or anything. So it is, it is one of those ones. It's, it's like a cult cereal, if anything. Well, it, it, it feels, I've, no, I've never tried it, obviously, but it feels like a combination between Raisin Brand and Honey Bunches of Oats. Yeah, it's, it's like they're just trying, it's, it's like one cereal trying to be five other cereals all at once do you have do you have a box in your house right now or no i, d- I don't i wish i did oh, um, that would have been, that would have been the the addition to the bombshell yeah yeah well it, i mean i could get one though and that, that's what i was going to say is, that, is that if you're in canada and you want some just right Stu will send you some you've got a couple yeah you've got a couple of options you can you could i'll, I'll send it to you for an exorbitant fee um <laughs> you gotta get those tariffs on it <laughs> or you do what they're doing in the article you go hunting for it you, you go on, on these weird I don't know, just write hunts and find the last remaining boxes or make it yourself. And that would be a recipe. I don't know if in the UK you guys ever had Altoids, Altoid Sours. Are they little mints? Altoid makes the mints, but they made this kind of candy mint sour thing. It was these like sour suckers that were about the size of like a lemon head. You know what lemon heads are? No. Okay, but they're like, they're this side. You'll be able to see this. Listeners won't, but they're this side and they were this hard candy, but they were incredibly sour, but they were so delicious. They came in this, uh, this metal tin, Altoid Sours. I remember being addicted to these things as kids. Were they like marketed as like, you think you can eat one of these? They're so sour. There's no Kind of, kind of. I don't even remember the marketing because I think I was so young, but I just remember being addicted to these things and then they were discontinued. And now in the US, it's a big thing. Like people know Altoid Sours, like literally you can go on eBay and you could get a package. I'm actually going to look this up. Uh, You could go on eBay and get a package of Altoid Sours for like an exorbitant fee because people have such good memories of this candy. I don't even know if you can call the candy. I, I, yeah, that, that, it happens, doesn't it? I, I remember this sweet, this, this sweet, but the, the, um, I think actually the, the same friend who introduced me to Just Right had these sweets and they're like little, um, little discs of uh, boiled sweets, but they're, they're like red and white swirls and they're sort of strawberry and cream flavored. I never saw them in supermarkets, but, but they, they were absolutely delicious. And I'm like, I, I just couldn't find them ever. And I, I sometimes, every now and then it just comes back to me. Like, what the hell were they? <laughs> yeah, I just found it. I just found them on email. I just, or on eBay. I just sent you a link to kind of see what they look like. But like eBay. cans are going for $150 for this small tin can. Oh my God. 40, 48 sealed t- tins for $3,600 US. Wow. $8,000 for this one sealed tin of Altoid Sours Citrus. 11 watchers on that one. Do they Do they keep? I don't know if you uh, have watched Good Mythical Morning with uh, Rhett and Link on YouTube. No, I'm afraid not. But they have covered this before where they bring on discontinued items, they try them, and they keep relatively well. Obviously, they melt together because they're, you know, these hard crystallized candies, but they generally keep pretty well. Oh, so they would be like edible. Yeah, you could, you could still eat this. You could pay $8,000 US for this can of candy and have a have a go. <laughs> I, I I remember hearing something I might have been on radio that about people finding um food that was was made during during like the Cold War for 
secret bunkers, mm-hmm. you know, nuclear shelters. And there's sort of these biscuits that, that were supposed to be sort of nutritionally dense and, and you know, you could survive off for, for as long as possible off them. And, and people sort of, sort of finding them in these secret bunkers and, and trying them like 50 years later. And, um, them just being absolutely disgusting. <laughs> well, it's it's so interesting how people can become so interested in these items that don't exist anymore because they have this, you know, obviously we'll talk more about this with the NFTs in our second news story, but they have this intrinsic value because there's not a lot of them. It's not being made anymore, yeah. especially when it comes to food. They're like, I kind of want to try that. Like I, there was this one story, I can't remember the exact details. These people drank this liquid from a sarcophagus from a mummy, or I don't think they actually drank it. I'll have to include it in the corrections corner, but they wanted to drink this liquid that was in this sarcophagus, mummy sarcophagus from thousands of years ago, just because it's one of those things where I can say, I'm the only person to drink this sarcophagus mummy juice. And that gives me some sort of status yeah. bigger than yours. It's called a curse. That's what you get. <laughs> you bring on the end of the world by drinking this. Yeah, but it's worth it. <laughs> why Why do you think people are like that? Why do you think they seem to care more about something once it's gone or care more about something once it's, you know, this unique item? I've been thinking about that. I, th- I think one thing is, you know, taking things for granted when, when they're not scarce. Because I haven't had just right cereal in years. But now that I know there's like a day, a day might come when I can't, I'm quite tempted to get one just to make sure I could, you know, get one, one more in before, before it's too late. So, so I think it's, it's kind of, you take, you take it for granted until it's gone and then suddenly you realize you loved it. It's a combination of kind of that and, and, and sort of not liking change, mm. wanting to hold on to, to, to that thing that, that you had. And I wonder as well if, if it's, it's kind of a subconscious sort of thing to, to go on a d- the defensive almost when, when, when something gets discontinued like that, it's almost like, and you like it, it's almost like they're saying, no one likes it. You're, you're wrong for liking it. You're, you're kind of saying, how, how can it, how can it be if this gets cancelled? I love it. Like, I can't be wrong about this. I can't be the only one. The fact is that, that we are a minority. It's just right. Thanks. <laughs> Apparently. You know, we have to get over it. <laughs> no, it's, it's such an interesting concept that I think a lot of what ties us to these things is very nostalgic. Yeah, exactly. I, I could very much order one of these Altoid Sour cans. You know, I don't think I don't think I have $250 just to spend on a, a can of candy. But I think with our nostalgic minds, we see something in a much better light than it actually might have existed in. Yes. Like I could order one of these cans. I could spend $250, $8,000 if I want to go crazy and get the can, pop one in my mouth and be like, well, crap, this is, this tastes like, this literally tastes like crap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. this idea I had created in my mind of this candy from years ago made it bigger and made it taste better than it might have actually tasted. And and when you had them, you were, you know, young, carefree child having just having fun. Um, Didn't care about cavities. It's exactly, exactly. So it's 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 kind of you you tied this this object, this product to that time in your life, and 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 there's this sort of urge to to kind of go back there and and and, and sort of relive that time by mm. like through this thing, but it's not actually going to take you back. But hopefully, it'll still be nice. But <laughs> it would uh, be nice. It's <laughs> one of those things, you know. We talked about this with Felipe in our episode about nostalgia, but it, yeah, you kind of want to go back. And live that moment. I look back at myself as a child being able to, you know, eat candy and go crazy on candy and not have any consequences. I mean, obviously, consequences came later in life with, yeah. you know, cavities and such of that nature. But I look back on that time very fondly because you're able to like pick and choose these moments that make you feel good. When really, if I went back in time and I was a little boy again, I'd be like, I mean, sure, there's one good moment here, but there's also 99 other shitty moments that don't really make up for wanting this one moment back yeah selective memory and i think you know what you said in regards to like if they take away something that feels like almost an attack on you because it's like well if they discontinued just right in canada and i like just right and i'm a canadian i'm a calgarian <laughs> it almost feels like what i like doesn't matter and then there's this whole ego debate on well I want this to exist in the world. You don't want this to exist. I feel like I'm being attacked, but then it's just freaking cereal. Find a new cereal. At the end of the day, I think the lesson is don't don't identify with cereal. Don't, don't make that <laughs> such a big part of who you are. It's okay to like cereal, but there's there's more things that you can eat. 
even for breakfast. Well, before before we move on, what is your serial identity? What is the serial that says, "Hey, I'm getting this. I'm Stu. This serial identifies me. I'm eating it every morning, if possible." Oh, that's a tough one. I I think I'm consuming 15 pounds of it in the UK <laughs> a year. What have I been eating recently? I I uh, cocoa pops are great. I don't know if you have those sort of little rice puffs, chocolate flavoring. Cocoa puffs, you said? Yeah. Yeah, we have cocoa puffs, yeah. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, those are great. Uh, Weetabix as well? Not that one, no. No. Okay, there's, there's, there, I don't even know how to describe them. They're like wheat biscuit things. They're quite, a lot of people don't like them, but the, the, the thing with them is that you customize them. And that's <laughs> okay. kind of my serial identity. It's not really, it, it, I like putting, I like chopping a banana into my bowl or, or you know, chucking some raisins in there or something to sort of, God, this is so lame, but spice it up a bit. <laughs> <laughs> this is a conversation two 80-year-old men would have. This is my life in lockdown. <laughs> I wake up, I chop, a, I chop a banana into a bowl and I feel so alive. <laughs> it makes your day. So you, you, like to, you like to stay to the more nutritious cereals rather than the, the, the more sugary ones. I guess, I, I don't know, is there, is there a difference in... In the U.S. here, we have very sugary cereals. Yes. You know, even something like Raisin Bran, which is marketed as this healthy cereal, is actually incredibly high in sugar, like higher than most, like what people would consider sugary cereals like Captain Crunch or Cocoa Puffs. Is is that something that translates over to the U.K. as well? Yeah, I, I mean, we, we I, I definitely think most cereals here are quite unhealthy too i think probably people will look back and be like why do they eat this every day what a terrible idea Um, start the day off with a cup of sugar yeah i i think over here it's it's less kind of um it's a bit more well hidden a bit like you said with the the raisin branding for the sugar like like um we 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 have chocolatey cereals and sort of sweet cereals you know like frosty flakes frosties we call them and and like cocoa pops and and stuff but we don't have like the um brightly colored like fruit loops and and things like that where it's just like these insane shades of blue and green and red where you're just like that that could never come from an actual sort of plant or or something like from nature like there's this sort of yeah, I don't. I don't know. It's 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 it's, it's a lot brighter and bolder in, in in the United States. I think. I always I always see those photos. I've never been to the act. I've never actually been to London or the UK in general. But I always see the photos of your grocery stores, and you'll have like a little American section, mm. the US section, and it's just like the. It's yeah, bright boxes, bright marketing, in your face marketing, which I think is very very yeah. represented of what US marketing is. It's like a very in your face marketing style. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I, I yeah, I don't know. I, I guess it's, it's it's a little more subdued here in that regard, but it's not to say that it's actually any um better for you. They they just they don't don't quite they're not as sort of brash in um the way that they market it, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> well, I would like to welcome to the show, creator of the sketch musical comedy podcast, Highly Irregular, the monthly podcast with no right angle, the all-around silly sausage himself, Stu Horgan. Stu, welcome to Water Cooler Talk. Hello, thanks for having me. <laughs> we talked a bit about voice work in our episode with Caroline Skoog, but I wanted to ask you about your workflow for Highly Irregular. You've only done two episodes, but more on the way. Yeah. Each episode, there's a good handful of bits, you know, and each of those bits encompass either a comedy or music flow you do you know your own custom music but they also entail in the comedy bits a bunch of uh, a multitude of characters which you voice all the characters so what does that creation process look like from start to finish yeah i mean i mean so so i'm a big fan of sketch shows i wanted to make something quite like some sketch shows i like like the fast shows one that um, i really love that that was on on um, quite a long time ago now actually um i'm trying to think of ones that 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 maybe had reached beyond the uk i know johnny depp was a big fan of a fast show well the flight of the concords the flight of the concords which you mentioned we just actually mentioned it last episode with spencer park yeah yeah so i i I write these songs um and sketches and and it's 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 quite a chaotic process i suppose it's, it's things just sort of come to me ideas and silly jokes and and sort of um musical ideas so so i sort of write them down and flesh them out the songs i kind of just record and make and as i go and and and, and the sketches as well I, I kind of have a few google docs where i'm sort of writing these sketches and bits it's it's oh, this it sounds very um unorganized that's because it is but <laughs> I, I grab a bunch and i i sort of just make these sort of episode plans i suppose where i kind of like 
pop a few things in. I try and mix it up and, and have a bit of variety and, and sort of get something that I think adds up to about 20 minutes. And then I just record it. Yeah. I, I, I sort of, I, 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 I voice myself in the middle and at the start. And then, and then I just hop in these sketches and I'm just sort of reading what I'm, what I've written. I'm not very good at sort of doing that stuff spontaneously, but I'll, I'll sort of just, you know, I'm having a conversation between two people. It's just a conversation between myself. So I have to kind of like, Say one bit on a, one audio track and then flip over to the other one and kind of respond. And then it's, it's all, it, it, yeah. And then I, and then I do a lot of editing to, um, try and make it sound like it's not just me talking to myself. <laughs> Are you able to like flip from character to character pretty easily? Or is it, you know, you're recording one character and then you're recording the next character? Yeah. No, I, I, I try and do, I, well, I, I do it line by line. So I do, I do sort of switch as I go between characters when there's a conversation going on. Yeah, I wouldn't say that's definitely set in stone because it's it's, it's all early days, and uh, and I think generally like my voice acting skills are developing as I go as well. I've always had a bit of a flair for the dramatic, you know, and and did it in school and stuff. But the thing that I worry about is is, is just how terrible my uh, my accents are. But I have to do them because otherwise it's just it really just sounds like me. Yeah. So I have to do all these terrible accents and these, you know accents from different parts of the UK and American accents and and you know like all, all these different voices to try and give the illusion of having distinct voices going on. Which is is that something you think about? Because also in that episode, Caroline, we talked about like the offensiveness in voice work, trying to do these different accents. I even remember, you know. Back in the day, I used to, every time like we played games with friends, I would create these different characters and it would be these stereotypical accents, whether it be a, a Mexican accent, whether it be a Canadian accent, whether it be a Chinese Asian accent, whether it be a Russian accent, whether it be Australian accent. It was that like when you think of those accents, it was exactly that accent. I was playing these characters. You know, is that something you think about while creating these characters as much as we seem to in America? Now in America, we're all like, oh, is this character offensive or not? Because American humor and British humor is quite different. I'm just finishing up the IT crowd, have fallen in love with Taskmaster over the last year of quarantine. And it seems from at least that small section of shows that I've watched, British humor has a completely different way of looking at comedy than American humor. Back to that serial marketing situation, you know, American humor is very in your face. You know, it's let's laugh together at someone or something where British humor is much more subdued and it's let's laugh together at ourselves. So is that something you think about? It is a bit. I I, I do sometimes worry with my voices and stuff that you know I'm not I'm not doing justice to whatever it is I'm I'm sort of impersonating. I I it is quite early days for me, but I I my hope is that when I'm sort of doing these characters in these different voices, it's it's mostly for the purpose of differentiating between them. If the audience knows that the intent is there only for that, and and it is just being silly for silliness' sake. You, you will get not, not like, um, that it means you have carte blanche to do whatever you want, of course, but mm-hmm. doing that voice is not to make fun of, of anyone or anything. That's not the spirit of, of anything that I do. I don't want to do comedy that's like edgy or mean like that or, or you know, like, like kicking down on, on anyone or, or making fun of anyone's identity. So yeah, I mean, it's tricky and I do think about it, but certainly if, if I did anything and anyone was upset with it, I would, I would, you know, make sure never to do it again, but I, I'm, it's a tricky one. I'll give you permission if you ever want to uh, do a Minnesotan accent uh, that you can say, "Oh, there goes those Minnesotan bags again." I'll give you. I'll give you permission <laughs> to use the Minnesota accent to uh, make fun of the the Minnesota people. Yeah. Well, I already. I so on my on my first it was start of my first episode, my very first sketch. I was a a radio host from some nonsense radio station in seattle i did an american accent as best i can which is not well at all welcome back to kpnx eeeeeep radio 103.13 recurring fm live from seattle and with me now but yeah i mean the idea is i i i, I was just sort of poking fun at, at, at those sort of stations with I mean, I, I listen to bands that I like doing these sessions in, in these stations that seem to have so many letters before the name and, and stuff. And um, I'm just trying to sort of embody that that sort of type of place. I'm not trying to like make fun of people who speak like that. It's, it's just sort of setting up that that scene and, and that that feeling and, and that sort of atmosphere. Yeah, I don't know if it's if it's uh, the same in the UK, but here in the US, we get very offended by 
things that generally aren't offensive. Like, I don't think it is offensive to make a stereotypical accent about a region of the U.S. or a region of the world. Obviously, there's a caveat with that. As long as you're not playing into that stereotype to make fun of that person to, exactly. like, like you mentioned, hit down on that person. You know, I can do a UK accent as long as I'm not doing it to make fun of you as a person. Yeah, it's all about the intent, I think, really, and the message of what you're doing. Yeah, and I, th- I think anyone as an audience like member listening to that or watching that, you know, you can tell um, very easily you know, whether that intent is there or not. You know, you, you've got to trust your listener that they're on board with you and, and they can make that distinction. Is is cancel culture <clears throat> is something that's prevalent in the UK? I mean, a bit. It, it comes up in, in, in the news and in conversation stuff. I, the thing I've noticed really about cancel culture is the people complaining about cancel culture aren't really like victims of cancel culture. They're just annoyed that people are saying that their views are wrong. Like like Piers Morgan, for example, having a pop at Megan and then and then losing his place on um, <laughs> on ITV's Good Morning. Yeah. Britain show I think that's what it's called and he just walked out when someone actually confronted him on his views he just walked off set but that's not being cancelled that's not being silenced that's not being censored like people aren't being censored like they say they are they just don't like that they're, they're not being allowed to to express their views without opposition. And that's a very different thing. They don't like that now in today's day and age, they can't say the same things they were saying 10 years ago. There actually is some yeah. you know, fallback to saying those same things, you know, like that Pierce Morgan situation, like he shat on Megan for years, Megan Markle. And then when someone was like, let's address this and why you're mad at this. And he was just like, no, I'm just going to leave. And then everyone was saying, oh, Pierce Morgan canceled for doing this and that. No, he wimped out he's a complete twat i mean i don't, I don't know how much of a sort of knowledge there is in, in the u.s of, of him um but for decades he's been a colossal asshole i mean if he ever gets what's come what, you know any kind of come up and sits it's, it's immensely satisfying for, for millions of people who've had to put up with his shit it's it's nice to see him off, get some kind of repercussions but i don't think he'll be down for long and sadly he'll be back spewing it elsewhere unfortunately probably on fox news yeah we just passed him across the atlantic and back like a hot potato you you guys gave us james corden and then now you're going to give us pierce morgan just just like let's kick out the worst of the worst i can only apologize uh before we move on myself and water cooler talk are in a mission to help give back to different parts of the community and those who have helped build our show to where it stands today for each new episode of the podcast the guests will bring with them a charity of their choice to represent on the day of the episode going live water cooler talk will give a donation to the charity in honor of the guest as well as a global platform to spread a message of love hope and togetherness and we hope you listening to this episode can join in to help spread their message to your own personal audience a studio charity of choice for today's episode is the white ribbon do you mind explaining a bit about what they do especially in the wake of the obviously very tragic death of sarah everard in south london earlier this month yeah myself and my partner used to live very near and 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 i worked very near where that happened as well and that that whole um series of events really hit home to us and, and and it's something that this this charity addresses, which is male violence against women, by actually encouraging men to take a stand and, and call each other out and um, prevent it. Because because the, the details of, of what what happened to Sarah Everard are so, so tragic. Because by all accounts, she she did everything that women are quote unquote supposed to do mm-hmm. to keep themselves safe. You know, she wore bright clothing. She she walked along main roads. She told people where she was going and, and, you know, to expect her to be home. And it didn't save her. And it's it's something that, that, that women experience all the time, that, that something like this could happen and, and not just something like that, but, but harassment, you know, and verbal harassment as well. Every woman, you know, some, there's a statistic, I think 97% of women have, have experienced some sort of harassment or abuse. And it's, it, I mean, that's terrible. And it, and it's something that, that for women that, that plays on your mind all the time when, you, when you're out uh, on your own uh, or in any sort of public setting and as as men we we don't we can't really understand that and feel that and and, and know what that's like so the idea of saying that, that women have to do these things to to try and protect themselves is you know they shouldn't have to it should be men not making them feel like that and and needing to be better and calling each other out on, on this stuff changing the culture and the atmosphere um so that w- women can feel safe and that's what 
That's what this charity is about. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that aspect of Sarah did everything right in this situation. She, you know, trusted a police officer who ended up taking her life, kidnapping her and taking her life. She did everything that she needed to do. This, Or I, I hate that argument where a, a woman is raped and, you know, one of the first questions the public will ask is what she what was she wearing? Yeah. And it's such a convoluted way to look at a fucked up situation. It shouldn't matter what someone's wearing. It shouldn't matter where someone's walking. As men, we have to, I love that you shared this, we have to hold each other accountable. We have to call out other men that are doing this behavior. Exactly. A woman shouldn't have to worry about what she's wearing. A woman shouldn't have to worry about where she goes. Men should change their behavior to say, hey, don't do weird shit. And it's been like this for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. So there's no excuse that, oh, it takes time to change. Change now. Yeah. Just make the changes now. We're not these survival of the fittest humanoids anymore. We have an option to be better and we can be better today before another situation like Sarah happens. And it's going to happen again, which is the sucky thing to say. Yeah. Yeah. But we can be better. And, and people, you know, people who say not all men. There's, I mean, you know, there's a, there's a bit of a, a sort of parallel here to, to people who say all lives matter. It's not, it doesn't matter if it's not all men. If it's any men, that's a problem. Well, even to that, if you don't mind me adding, even to that, you know, the concept of not all men, it is all men in an essence of like, for example, one of the, uh, the posts going around is text me when you get home. I'm yeah. someone who every time I hang out with the lady friend, go on a date, I say, hey, would you please just text me when you get home to know that you got home safe? And to me, I do that because, you know, if I've had situations, family, friends deal with car crashes and stuff of that nature. So I look at that situation as I just want to make sure you don't get in a car crash or something bad happens to you driving home. But in a situation among a group of girls and, a uh, you know, one of their girls friends, they look at that situation as, hey, you're walking home by yourself. Let me know that you get home safe without getting attacked. Exactly. It's something you don't think about because you're not in, the, in their shoes. Yeah. And that's why I chose this charity, really. And it's, it's good as well because it's, it's a global one. There's a white, white ribbon in the US, there's a white ribbon in the UK, wherever, the, wherever people are listening to this, to, you, know, you can see if there's one in your country that you can support as well. Yeah. I appreciate you bringing on the show. You know, obviously I know about the situation. I didn't know about the charity. So I appreciate you bringing some light to that charity. And yeah, but yeah I think it's more people need to know about it. Well, all right, Stu, are you ready to jump into our last story of the day? Yeah, let's do it. This is from BBC News, US and Canada, March 7th, 2021. Bids reached 2.5 million US for Twitter co-founders first post. Jack Dorsey, Twitter co-founder, has listed the first ever tweet for sale with the highest bid as of time of recording this with Stu being $2.5 million US through the tweet's marketplace valuables by cent. The tweet, just setting up my Twitter, Twitter spelled T-W-T-T-R, tweeted by Dorsey himself in March of 2006, was listed on the tweet's marketplace as a non-fungible token, or an NFT, which, since the first NFT was released in 2017, has become the modern-day way of collecting unique digital autographs. It's going to get very confusing here, folks. I'll try to do my best to explain. <laughs> NFTs are traded on the blockchain, which is the same database technology associated with popular cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, and Dogecoin, as the blockchain helps to create a unique, non-counterfeitable certificate of ownership for any kind of digital good. To help out a bit, because uh, even I'm confused by the blockchain, here is blockchain being explained to a young teenager. So Ian, do you know what blockchain is? No. Have you ever traded or sold anything? Actually, I'm selling my computer on eBay right now. That's amazing. What made you decide to trade on eBay? Um, well, I, I mean, I've heard of it and I trust it a lot because there's they have like all of their guarantees. So I, I know that I'm going to get money and the person's going to get what they want. So what if I told you that blockchain technology is basically a tool where you can do the exact same thing, but it goes to you and I directly. You wouldn't need an eBay or a brand in between. That's cool. And there's a lot of those kinds of middlemen in our society today, right? We have a lot of banks, we have yeah. a lot of companies that sort of help us make sure that our trades happen. Mm -hmm. But if we could guarantee the same trade using technology, as sort of like a technological trust, then we wouldn't really need all those middlemen in between. So how does it work? It's basically a network of computers that all have the same history of transactions. And so instead of sort of there being one company with one database that holds all the information, the same sort of list 
is held by all these different people. Like you could have it on your computer. And then it gets validated by everyone. And basically that turns into the next part of the list. So it's sort of constantly updating itself. So like, how do you make sure that it's secure? So it uses cryptography and that helps it basically encode all of the transactions. So you can't really see exactly what happened, but you know it happened because it's like a marker. So you could kind of like, I don't know, say trade, you trade apples, but you would just see like random letters yeah, for it. Exactly. So you wouldn't be able to like track it, I guess. Exactly. That's cool. So it's kind of this like really big ledger or accounting system for all sorts of things that get traded. But instead of being owned by one company, it's owned by everybody. That's cool. Yeah. As for Dorsey's tweet post-auction, the buyer will receive a certificate digitally signed and verified by Dorsey himself, as well as the metadata of the original tweet, which includes information such as the time the tweet was posted and its text contents, among other metadata type things for the data nerds out there. Even though the tweet will have been purchased by the purchasing party, it will still remain publicly available on Twitter. While the idea that digital artists can earn an income by offering buyers some sense of ownership has its attractions, the sale of tweets and NFTs will leave many scratching their heads. Valuables by Scent, the platform responsible for the tweet's auction, seems to recognize that the concept will leave people bemused. In its FAQ, it explains, Owning any digital content can hold sentimental value and create a relationship between collector and creator. Like an autograph on a baseball card, the NFT itself is the creator's autograph on the content, making it scarce, unique, and valuable. Most of us might think that 2.5 million US is a bit of a high price to pay for a relationship with the Twitter boss, but given the feverish, often irrational state of any kind of cryptocurrency-related market, maybe, just maybe, the buyer is betting that there will be someone who take the tweet off their hands at an even higher price. So, so I just want to ask you, like, what's, what's your basic experience with cryptocurrency, the blockchain, NFTs, non-fungible tokens? It's quite minimal. <laughs> I hold a few Dogecoin just for the fun of it. But I, I know a bit about kind of, you know, that the, there's this, this sort of algorithmically produced objects that, that, that are sort of unique from one another and, and you can sort of trade them from one place to another and there's all sorts of encryption going on that sort of ensures that there's one singular, you know, if you have one Bitcoin, it's your Bitcoin and no one else has it until you give it to them kind of thing. I don't really know any, any more technical stuff behind that. And then, and then, yeah, non, non-fungible tokens are, are kind of a, a similar thing, but, but they, they, you attach them to something, basically a concept. It, it seems like you could, you could sort of trade anything digitally with an NFT if you really wanted to. I mean, like this tweet, for example, you don't even, you can't edit tweets, can you? You can't literally do anything with the actual tweet. It's kind of like um, soccer, football. Say every soccer ball, football, I'm just going to go with soccer because it's easier for me. Every soccer ball is created ultimately the same. Every soccer ball is ultimately the same. But if you have, say, the ball that Beckham used to do the bend it like Beckham kick in the World Cup that ball is now worth more than all those other soccer balls. Yeah. Even though it's still a soccer ball, this is a unique soccer ball that's worth more than other soccer balls. So it sort of attaches uniqueness to something and it kind of creates scarcity where there wasn't one before. I mean, I was just having a look on, on one of the sort of NFT marketplaces a while ago. There's Gronkowski, the, the New England Patriots ball receiving man. I don't know what position he plays. <laughs> He's a tight end for the uh, Tampa Bay Bucks this year. Oh is, oh, is he not a Patriots? He was, yeah. He got, he moved over. It's a, it's a whole story with Tom Brady. That's Oh, yeah, yeah. Because they're, they're like best friends. Aren't they? mm-hmm. And then um, he's selling like limited collection of you know, like baseball cards, but for him, they're just pictures of him and there's only 87 of them. And you can have one for like $300. It's a picture. And before you, you, if you saw a picture on the internet, you copy that image, you save it on your computer. It's yours now. You've got it. It's the same. Whereas now you haven't because this one's got Gronkowski's digital signature on it, which has been made on this blockchain thing. Now you can actually say he gave it to you. And it's yours. If I just copied that image and saved it on my computer, it wouldn't be the same thing because it doesn't have that attached to it. I mean, it kind of would be the same thing, but doesn't have the value of having that uniqueness of having that digital signature by Gronkowski himself. Yeah. So so does that make it a different thing or not? It's kind of the philosophical question at the heart of it, really, I suppose. If you believe it does, then it does. And that's why people pay. I remember in... 
I want to say 2011, 2012, first hearing about Bitcoin. At that time, I don't think like platforms like Coinbase were a thing. I specifically remember having you bought Bitcoin from this like almost like a dark web type website and they gave you this really long code that you had to copy. You only got one copy of that code. If you lost that code, I mean, I've even might have Bitcoin on like an old computer. I should definitely check because it's worth like $56,000 now. <laughs> but I remember you got this really long code. You had to store it somewhere. And then you had to go to like another site to uh, get like a digital wallet to store it. And then it was safe. It was your Bitcoin. As long as you had all the information for that wallet, you were the only one that was able to really get into that. Yeah. And I remember just thinking, this is way too much work to invest in something. So I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to do it. I, I had the same reaction. Yeah. <laughs> when it was like 35 <laughs> cents a Bitcoin. But then like later in like 2016, I want to say, or 2017, I remember, I specifically remember this conversation with my good friend Logan. We were playing Gran Turismo 5. We were trying to get these, you know, like shitty fiat cars up this gigantic hill. But anyways, I remember talking to him about Bitcoin. This, I believe, was like just before Bitcoin hit its like first major bump from like $1,000 per Bitcoin to up to like $5,000. But I remember telling him about Bitcoin and explaining Bitcoin to Logan and being like, man, if I had $1,000, I would buy into this and I would be into it. I feel like it's the new way. It's this decentralized currency. Everybody's responsible for making sure you have this Bitcoin. I should buy into this. And now, you know, you look back four or five years later and it's at $56,000 per Bitcoin. And you're like, man, I wish I would have, I wish I would have had that thousand dollars at the time. But I mean, that's, that's the thing with investing. You never realize something's going to be as expensive in the future as it is. Even like, you know, Dogecoin at a fraction of a penny right now, but who knows in a hundred years that could be worth $5 million per coin. You just never know. Or it could be that same price. Exactly. I mean, it was at the same time, but you were thinking you wish you could have bought more at $1,000. When it was $1,000, you could have been looking back and thinking, God, I wish I bought it when it was one. Exactly. And maybe in, in a few years' time, we'll be, we'll be going, oh my God, what a bargain when it was only 50K. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the thing about specifically Bitcoin in general. If I had 10 Bitcoin and it went up to $1,000, or say if I bought 10 Bitcoin back when it was like 35 cents per Bitcoin, back when I first discovered Bitcoin, I don't know the exact price, it probably wasn't 35 cents, but I bought 10 Bitcoin super cheap and then it went up to 1,000, I would have probably have sold at 1,000 because no, I would have been exactly, like, yeah. this is an insane steal. I would have never have guessed it would have gone up to 56,000. So when you hear about a lot of these people becoming millionaires on Bitcoin, it was mostly people like, hopefully myself, where... They just happen to have Bitcoin on an old computer that they forgot about. And now 10, 20 years later, it's worth $56,000. Exactly. I, I, yeah. And I, I knew someone who, who had it and bought it and, and made a tidy couple hundred quid off it. And, you know, that was great business. If they'd held on to it, you know, he'd, he'd have so much money now. But you can't know that. At the end of the day, he made some money off it. He got out on top. You walk, that's when you walk away from the casino, isn't it? Um, <laughs> no, that's a, that's a good so. analogy. You know, if you win some money on the craps table, you can still keep playing and make even more money, but you could also lose all that money. I kind of feel that way of these NFTs as well. I saw someone selling a Mark Cuban quote on a motivational poster. How do, how do they even own that? To, it wasn't Mark Cuban. How do you even own that to, to, to be selling it to, to someone else? But, you know, this, this thing that you can, you know, a lot of pixel art on there, which is, Obviously, it requires time to create, but you look at that and you think, who's buying this, first of all? And what, what exactly are they going to do with it? And, and is, is this thing that you're buying the thing that you think will appreciate in value considerably? I mean, that's, I guess, the philosophical question here is, you know, how does one value a piece of this digital space? Obviously, with this tweet, it's the first ever tweet. So there is some value there. Yeah, exactly. But this Gronk, should I be buying this Gronk card? I don't know. <laughs> is it a steal? I've no idea. I've no reference. No one does. That's the problem. Well, I mean, that's, you know, I've been investing in the stock market for years. And that's, you know, what I always tell people that obviously with like this GameStop thing, a lot of people are back into stock market trading that have never been in it before. And I always tell them, invest in companies you believe in. Invest in companies that you see a future in, that 10 years down the road, you still want to be invested in this company because things are going to raise in value. They're going to decrease in value. And if you truly believe in something, you truly believe in that value, it shouldn't be hard to say, spend $2.5 million on a tweet. If you think, if you truly think that tweet and you're doing, you know, the due diligence, you're doing the research, if you truly think that tweet could be worth $5 million in 10 years. And I put, I put a tweet up for sale 
and no one's bid on it. So that says a lot about where people see me in 10 years' time. <laughs> I If I will make an account and I will bid a dollar, because I believe in you, Stu, in 10 years. Oh, I'll, I'll buy one of yours. Inle- I, don't, I don't have a Twitter, so oh, okay, we'll have well. to figure out. But uh, unless it's too difficult to sign up and do it, yeah. then just like Bitcoin, I'll wait until it gets easier and That's do it uh, in 10 years later. My girlfriend was like, oh, I was going to put a bid on your tweet, but then I had to like, make an account and it was all just too much effort. Okay, that's fair enough. <laughs> I think I have some aspect of understanding this space, but even, you know, I was listening to this person explain it to another expert, and I was like, I have no idea what they're talking about. This is so freaking confusing. The blockchain yeah. is so freaking confusing. I'll include, actually, I'm a, I'll am I'll probably include just a short clip explaining it in uh, this episode, just so kind of everyone knows what it is. Um, but it's such a confusing landscape but I truly believe this is where the landscape of owning things is going because it just it makes sense. You know, blockchain is very secure. You cannot counterfeit anything. So if you get something through the blockchain, you know that thing is authentic. Yeah. And I truly believe we're getting to a point where investing is going to be about investing in one another. So I can buy stock into you, Stu, as just a person rather than the content you create. And I think we're already seeing that with the likes of someone like Elon Musk that you mentioned, you know, obviously Tesla creates this product that has value, but that stock is also influenced by what Elon Musk tweets, what he says, what he does, because it's intrinsically tied, Tesla is intrinsically tied to Elon Musk. Someone like Kathy Wood, who is a kind of investor, uh, her ARK investment uh, firm, People are buying not into what she's investing in. People are buying into her that there's this trust that she's going to make me money. It's the same thing with someone like Bernie Madoff. People invested in Bernie Madoff rather than what he was investing. Obviously, he wasn't investing in anything, but people invested into the person of Bernie Madoff. And I think I truly believe that's where investing as someone who really loves investing is going, that we'll be able to start investing in people, you know, rather than just being able to invest in product. That's quite exciting. And it's hard to imagine in a way. I've, yeah, I, I feel like it's going to it's going to be here quicker than, you know, you're blinkered and it's all going to change. It will be unrecognizable from the current landscape. I mean, yeah, and looking through all these, these, this totally new world that I've just discovered when reading around this, this article and of NFTs that, that's kind of like popped up now. I don't think there's any putting a lid on that box. I'm really, I'm really glad. Like I said, your pre-show here. I'm really glad you shared this story. This story is actually from Stu himself. Um, I'm really glad you shared this story because this is, you know, that new kind of space yeah. that's coming on the scene. You know, it used to be underground. It started in 2017. Uh, non-fungible tokens. I'm talking about. But now it's more mainstream as people like Rob Gronkowski have gotten into it. People like Jack Dorsey of Twitter have gotten into it. You know, obviously, I would love to bring on someone who's an expert in this to talk more about it. But I think this is a good introduction for people to realize that this thing exists. And it's not like you said, you know, it's Pandora's box. It's not going away. There's one concerning thing, which is um, they consume a lot of energy. And that's 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 kind of a problem. uh, Crypto miners consume more energy than the Netherlands. That's crazy. I just, yeah, I heard that story that it's contributing to global warming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It uses up so much power, you know, if you, and, and um, yeah, people sort of buying bundles of graphics cards and, and clocking them up and, and, and trying to mine like a Bitcoin um, for however long it takes now because the algorithm's got so complicated. I don't know if it's the same with these NFTs, if it's, if it, if it works the same way, but yeah, to create any token consumes energy mm-hmm. and, and the more reliant we are on it the more energy we're going to consume and I, I think that that really well more than anything just just really uh, highlights like the push for renewable energy and, and kind of converting to, to more sustainable ways of generating that energy otherwise we're going to end up in, in, a, in an even bigger hole than we already are it's almost as if this is the start to a new industry but there's going to there's something is going to come around that is more efficient better for the environment that will kind of replace what we have now. Yeah. Like this is just kind of the start and we're figuring out, oh shit, this uses up a lot of energy. It may not be as efficient as it needs to be. I mean, at least here in the US where capitalism drives innovation, somebody's going to come along to be able to make something for cheaper that is a better product. This is just the beginning. So I'm glad we are able to kind of say, hey world, here's something that in 10, 20, 30 years is going to become a major force in the digital landscape 
but it might not look how it looks right now. And just like now looking back on um, Bitcoin and thinking, oh my God, I wish I just bought some of those. I expect <laughs> in that 10, 20 years, I'll be looking back on these and thinking, Jesus, if I just bought that Gronk card, I'd be a millionaire. If I had just bought <laughs> Stu's tweet for a dollar, I would be a billionaire by now. <laughs> well, Stu, thank you for taking the time to share your perspective on some of the strangest and most interesting news stories the world has to offer in a productive and meaningful conversation. Listeners, if you'd like to give Stu's podcast Highly Irregular a listen, you can do so by heading to at Podly Irregular on Instagram and Twitter. Once again, that's at Podly Irregular for Twitter and Instagram. The podcast is also available on all major podcast listening platforms. So, Wherever you are listening to this episode of Water Cooler Talk podcast right now, you'll be able to find Stu's podcast, Highly Irregular. But j- j- don't uh, uh, don't go anywhere. Finish up the rest of this episode. We still have some a uh, bit of this episode to go. I'll also include a teaser of Stu's podcast shortly to give you a bit of a taste. So there's no reason to leave just yet. Stick around. Enjoy yourself. You know, if you leave right now, you'll miss Stu on the hot seat and having to close out the show. Everyone's favorite <laughs> aspect of the show. Put put a little pressure on Stu there. And then, of course, as always, to make it easier for you, those links will be included in the description of this episode and on our website under Stu's episode, www.watercoolertalkpod.com. Before we get to you being on the hot seat officially, Stu, I want to ask you, you're officially two episodes in to hopefully many, many more. I really enjoy your podcast. What can new prospective listeners expect from Highly Irregular moving forward? And can you promise them that you won't pod fade after that seven episode humps? Yes. My, my goal with this podcast is is kind of the episodes are, are sort of short and sweet. It's scripted content. They're just 20 minute blasts, 20-ish minutes of just silly nonsense. I mean, it, it, it largely doesn't make sense. It's quite surreal humor. But I mean, it's just good fun. I, I don't know even what to compare it to. There's the, if you like Flight of the Concords... That's kind of what the music's a bit like. That's sort of the direction it's going. It's a sketch show, obviously, we mentioned. Um, it's just a laugh. It's not, I'm not trying to, you know, have any kind of agenda with it or anything. It's just 20 minutes of silly nonsense. Well, if you ever uh, need a Minnesota accent, a very a true Minnesotan accent, I will <laughs> happily lend my voice. Thank you. <laughs> all right. As always, thank you to all my listeners for listening to another episode of Water Cooler Talk, the only such podcast. Fun fact, the only such podcast on the internet hosted by myself and guest hosted today by Stu. Fun fact, where we take the strangest and most interesting real life news stories from around the world and, well, just try and have a good old conversation about some of the ideas discussed in those bizarre news stories. Stu, we are now to the end of the show where I ask my guests to close out the show however they see fit. You know, lately it's been a lot of people giving very passionate, good advice. You know, it's been a while since we've had a song on the show. Um, you can tell a joke. Whatever whatever feels right in this moment to you to close out this episode of Water Cooler Talk with Stu Horgan, the floor is yours. You know, I was thinking about maybe some sort of Jerry Springer monologue kind of closing out. <laughs> you know, I was thinking something like... Um, uh, with the NFT sort of slant of like, you know, but just don't forget about the value of your, the value of you yourself, you know, what's in there is the most important, most valuable thing. You said you've had, had a bit of that recently. So, um, I'm just going to advertise that tweet that I put on sale because it's like <laughs> my best joke. It's been my pinned tweet for like five years because I think it's really funny. And I, maybe it's not because no one's been on it, but, um, here it is. Doctor, doctor. I think I've become a metaphor. Okay, can you tell me what it's like? No, Doctor, that's a simile. <laughs> oh, Stu, thank you. You can buy this on... What's the website? It was... Uh, you can buy that if you feel like that is value. Valuable is by scent. That's uh, what it is, yeah. Stu Hargan, you can find that... Uh, if, you th- if you think that's funny and you think it's worth taking the time to buy it on a website and own it, uh, take the time to do so. But Stu, thank you very much for coming on the show today. Thanks so much for having me. This has been really fun. All right, listeners, until next time, peace. This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not because they're real. Listeners, unfortunately, I did not find any Bitcoin on my old computer. Apparently, when I switch over computers back in the day, I completely wiped everything for some dumb reason. So in my mind, I'm just going to pretend that I have thousands and thousands of Bitcoins. And in this alternate reality where I didn't wipe my computer's memory, I found those codes and became a Bitcoin millionaire. A boy can dream. 
But back to this reality. Thank you to Stu for calling in from the UK to talk about those strange and interesting news stories. As always, make sure to support his podcast, Highly Irregular, by following the links in the description of this episode or by going to our website at www.watercoolertalkpod.com. And as always, make sure to support Stu's charity of choice, White Ribbon, uh, available as Stu mentioned in many different countries around the world. But anyways, to the corrections. During the first conversation discussing Just Right cereal being discontinued in Canada, Altoid Sours, which were incredibly sour, brightly colored, crystalline looking candies that made you pucker your lips with both the sensation that your mouth was going to fall off and pure joy, lasted from 2004 to 2010 and were discontinued due to low sales according to the Wrigley Company. But anyone with a half-functioning brain knows that they were actually discontinued following Obama's unveiling of his $3.8 trillion budget, which cut budgeting to NASA and stopped them from returning to the moon because, and wait for it, Altoid Sours, moon candy. So, once again, thanks Obama. The boiled sweets mentioned by Stu are Campino strawberry and yogurt fruit candies, which funnily enough, aren't exactly available in the UK anymore, but are available in Walmarts in the US. So, just like back in 1783, the US manages to snag another big win away from the UK. Sorry, Stu. The mummy juice, which appeared after a sarcophagus was unearthed in Alexandria, Egypt, ended up being nothing more than sewage water that leaked through the sides from a nearby building. Maybe not the best thing to be drinking, but I guess the real question becomes, how does sewage water compare to ancient mummy juice on the you-probably-shouldn't-drink-this scale? The world may never know. And then the final correction from the first conversation, Stu is a fan of Cocoa Pops, not Cocoa Puffs. Cocoa Pops in the US are actually named Cocoa Rice Krispies. Cocoa Pops have, I believe it's a cub as their mascot, and Cocoa Puffs have a cuckoo bird as their mascot because he's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. During the second conversation discussing the rise of NFTs, the Bennett like Beckham kick is from the 2002 FIFA World Cup qualifier against Greece. The Gronk NFTs mentioned by Stu ended up being sold for five to six figures with the highest price bought being around $430,000. So there you go, Stu, if you need a reason to invest in Gronk. Uh, half a million dollars is a, it's a pretty good reason. In 2011, Bitcoin began the year around $1, jumped up to $32, and then back down to $2 towards the end of the year. Coinbase, the most well-known cryptocurrency platform, started in 2012. The current price of Dogecoin is uh, $0.05 cents. If you want to buy Stu's tweet, you need Ethereum and a Twitter account. And finally, to Stu's curiosity about NFTs adding to global warming, it is, it is true, this is a true fact, a single Ethereum transaction uses the same amount of energy that one US household uses in just over a day and a half. Uh, I think it's like 1.68 to be exact. The reason for this expense in energy is that Ethereum, the second most popular cryptocurrency next to Bitcoin, uh, uses a peer-to-peer -peer network which allows all users to store and view transaction data, but to store that data you need an extensive set of servers, which in turn takes tons and tons of energy to properly run. So as I mentioned in our conversation, it's obviously an outdated model and hopefully over time, uh, it'll be incredibly interesting to see what replaces that network and how it can be more energy efficient while also remaining that secureness of the blockchain. All right, Water Coolians, that's another Corrections Corner. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to another episode of Water Cooler Talk. Once again, thank you to Stu for calling into the studio and talking about some of the strangest and most bizarre news stories the world has to offer. Anyways, that's your Corrections. That's your episode. This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not because they're real. All right, you've been waiting. You stuck it through to the end. So here's a short clip of Stu's podcast, Highly Irregular. Look, you can't keep freezing my account whenever I make an outrageous purchase. It's all part of the lifestyle, you see. The lifestyle? You know, work hard, play hard. Right, well, we, we all work hard, Mr. LaBoss. No, you don't understand. Listen, I'm a trader, but not the kind to sell spices from Asia. I work right here in the city of London. Come and take a look at my financial dungeon. Up in the sky at Canary Wharf. Wide to the market is kicking off. Market rates great mates, but never mates rates till a clock of a ten to have ten with a lads. Hey!
I like my women like I like my index Trackable, stackable, packable Slightly volatile and algorithmically reactable A well-defined time for you to start and end to end And no commission, so you can come right back again People say all you do is work, aren't you lonely? <laughs> Honestly, it's like you don't even know me Why would I waste time trying to be Romeo When none of these girls are as diverse as my portfolio? Stocks 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 High yield investments on calculable derivables Stocks 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 Wearing a suit and tie on weekends. Hedge funds, popery, gambling on equity, investors party, open bar, sausage fest, naturally. Bonuses, commission, fractional division. Short back and size long, hours on a mission. First it goes up, then it goes down, then it goes up again. Now it's all squiggling up and down very quickly. When do you buy? When do you sell? That's for me to know. <laughs> Never tell. <laughs> Stocks. Stocks. <laughs> Stocks. <laughs> Well, that'll be why your account got frozen. You lost all your money betting on GameStop. What? Oh, yeah, that makes sense, actually.